reading from Paul's letter to the church in Philippi. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision, who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh, though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, I count as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish, in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. The word of the Lord. Well, good morning again. I uh, hope you don't mind that I bring my water bottle up here. I, uh, I know some pastors bring a cute cup. I need more water than that, and I am suffering from the sniffles. So uh, apologies if my voice kind of comes and goes. Uh, this morning's message is titled, A Life Worth Living. And as we look at God's word, I want to invite us to begin with a word of prayer. So bow with me. Dear Heavenly Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, our rock and our redeemer. And then the oldest prayer of the church, I pray, come Holy Spirit, come in Jesus' name. Amen. So I am delighted that uh, during the holidays we have guests, family of families uh, come and I see the Durhams over here, so welcome from North Carolina. Believe it or not, that's not Mel with a wig at the piano. That's Trenton's sister from Chattanooga helping to lead worship today. So thank you and welcome. And welcome again to all of our guests here today. Let's start with a simple question. Have you ever received a really strong warning? Have you ever received a really strong warning? This passage is a bit awkward, right? The beginning verses, like, watch out for the evildoers and the dogs. Why would Paul choose such a passage on Thanksgiving? Well, we'll get to that. But it's a warning, if you will. But have you ever received a really strong warning? Prior to moving to Charleston, my family and I, we lived about 30 to 40 minutes north of New York City in a place called Greenwich, Connecticut. And believe it or not, there's pretty landscape up in that part of the world. I know some of you might not believe that, but we lived on this property that had a stream in the backyard and some beautiful forest in the backyard. And uh, 
I remember this one time, I think it was around 2009, that I just heard my wife scream. Now, if you've been with our church for a while, you know her screams are a little awkward because they're not high-pitched, they're more guttural, right? They're like, oh! It sounds like she's dying and it scares me. And I hear the door slam and her running upstairs and Caden's running after her, my oldest son. He was probably like six or seven at the time. Blaze, our middle, was five or four. And then Sailor Grace was like one or two. And I, I, I jump up and I say, what's going on? She goes, do not go outside. Quite the warning. I said, what's going on? And it was around dusk. And she said, a bat tried to eat me. And I was like, how can a bat try to eat you? She goes, just trust me, a bat tried to eat me. Don't go outside. It, and, I, and even thinking about this message, I, I thought, am I exaggerating here? Do, is my memory correct? And sure enough, it is correct. Because here's some of the quotes she gave me even over the Thanksgiving break as we recalled this incident. She said, it attacked me. It fluttered around me. I was like, well, how do you know it was a bat? It looked me in the eyes. I was like, what? And then, as I recall the memory, um, she was telling me all this. She's really, you know, um, scared. And I turned to Caden. I said, Caden, what, what happened? And he said, well, mom left Sailor out there to die. <laughs> and I noticed there was no baby girl. So I had to go rescue my girl. And now as I was rescuing my baby girl outside, you know, with the bat infestation, or this one rogue bat, I noticed a robin kept flying by my head. And um, my wife was in the first service, and she's like, that's not how I remember it. But listen, guys, I do believe it was a robin, and I don't think Carly saw the bat eye to eye. But the point is this. When we love someone, we warn them of danger, don't we? When we love someone, we warn them of danger, and this fall... We've been going through this book uh, known as Philippians. And it's a letter from uh, the Apostle Paul to the church in Philippi. And it's filled with gratitude and thanksgiving, which is fitting for this time of year, right? But then you get to chapter 3 and you're like, what is going on here? He's gone off the rails. Come back to us, Paul. And so we'll get to that. What the evildoers, dogs, we'll get to that. But here's the thing. Paul is warning the church in Philippi, and he's warning us to look out for some things as we grow as a church and in our unique relationship with Jesus. Ultimately, I believe our passage teaches this truth. A life worth living is found not in pleasing others or pleasing self, but in receiving Jesus Christ. Let me repeat that. A life worth living is found not in pleasing others or pleasing self, but in receiving Jesus Christ. So we're going to unpack this. Point number one, a life worth living is found not in pleasing others. We read these words. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. Excuse me. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers and those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision 
who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. So note this. He begins by saying, Finally, my brothers, rejoice in what? In the Lord. And he goes on to say, this is safe for you. So it begs the question, right, as we start, do you want joy and do you want safety? Paul is saying, church, listen to these words. And then he goes on, look out for the dogs, the evildoers, and those who mutilate the flesh. Have you ever moved somewhere where you're an outsider? Have you ever walked in a room and been an outsider? When Carly and I moved to Charleston and then we felt the Lord you know, calling us to plant or start this Daniel Island Fellowship, uh, one of my earliest messages and memories, I remember this gentleman coming up to me after the message and saying, Paul, I just I need to tell you something. I said, great. He said to me, it doesn't matter what your education is and it doesn't matter what your experience is. It, mom, it matters who your mama is in Charleston, South Carolina. It doesn't matter what your education is, your experience, all that stuff. What matters is who your mama is. And I smiled. What he was saying is there's kind of an insider crowd. Those are the native Charlestonians. They have been here a while. And if you really want success in the city, you got to get to know them and kind of win the right to be heard by kind of bumping shoulders with them. And I smiled because Paul says just the opposite. And I smiled because the Daniel Island Fellowship represents quite the opposite. You see, our church is called to kind of craft and cultivate the new Charleston. We're a band of misfits, as I like to say. We're from all different places. Yes, some of us are from Charleston, some of us are from the South, but some of us are from the Northeast or the Midwest or elsewhere. And God is calling us, no matter our backgrounds, to him. And that's what Paul is saying here. You know, the context of this passage is, uh, we learn about it in Acts chapter 15. In the early church, there were Jews, a specific sect of Jews, that came to Christ, but then they were requiring everyone else to become Jewish before they could become Christians. We read about this in Acts chapter 15, the Judaizers. And so what they would do is they'd lay all these rules on new followers of Jesus, especially if you weren't from the Jewish faith. They'd say, you have to adhere to the dietary tradition of the Old Testament, the Mosaic Covenant. You have to adhere to actually even this idea of circumcision. And um, that's in accord with the Abrahamic Covenant. And they'd list all these rules and they'd say, if, if you don't adhere to these things, you're but a dog. You're an outsider. And what Paul's doing here, in a twist of irony, is saying, watch out for those people. Watch out for those church people that scare you, make you jump through all these hoops that are rigid and rule followers. That's not the way of Jesus. You see, nobody in God's family has bragging rights based on their name, their race, their citizenship or nationality, or their socioeconomic status. And that's why Paul is saying, watch out for these people. 
You see, a life worth living is found not in pleasing others or trying to prove yourself to others. No. Then point number two, a life worth living is found not in pleasing self. Paul goes on and says, if anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. What Paul is saying here is, look, if anyone's an insider, it's me. You see, Paul was a superstar um, from the Jewish race or the people of Israel. According to Kent Hughes, uh, a theologian writing on this topic, he says, what follows is the apostle's unparalleled description of his human achievements before he met Christ, which has been called one of the most remarkable personal confessions that the ancient world has bequeathed to us. As we know, this description of his fleshly accomplishments was really a masterful setup because Paul's boasting in his achievements paved the way for his remarkable rejection of them. And just looking, he, he lists seven things. I just want to highlight a few of these. He's basically saying, like, this, this idea of circumcised on the eighth day. This is in accord with the Abrahamic covenant. He's like, look, I'm not engrafted into this thing. I was born into this thing, guys. Of the people of Israel, notice he doesn't say as a Jew. The direct translation is of the race of Israel. You see, some of these early uh, Christians that were Judaizers would pull the race card and say, we're the true church. You're just kind of like, you know, the add-ons. Of the tribe of Benjamin. If you know anything about the Old Testament, there's only one son of Jacob that was born in the promised land. And his name was? Benjamin. And the tribe of Benjamin was the only tribe to remain faithful to Judah in the house of David after the death of Solomon. They were the only tribe when they were sent into exile to remain true to the faith. And then they were the tribe called to reestablish the Israel people, the Israelites, with the rebuilding of Jerusalem. He's saying, guys, I'm the total insider. All of these things, the first four things, are really privileges that he inherited. Like even Hebrew of Hebrews, in that day, Jews were spread all over the land and many of them didn't even know their native tongue. Well, not Paul. Paul not only knew Greek, but he knew Aramaic and Hebrew. In fact, you read in Acts 29 that he was a private school kid. He had the best rabbi in the land. He's like, guys, if anyone can boast, it's me. But then he goes on to basically say this. No matter your privileges or achievements, none of them provide lasting worth. No matter who you come from, who your mama is, what kind of life you've built up, none of them provide lasting worth. He says it like this, whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish. Now, 
Rubbish is a funny translation of the real word. The real word is an expletive, if you will. I enjoyed reading um, some of the theologians and how they define the real word. Rubbish equals excrement, manure, garbage, or kitchen scraps. You get the picture. No matter what life you've been given or what life you've been built, it doesn't compare to knowing Jesus, Paul is saying. Let me ask a question. And I think this is almost prophetically relevant to Daniel Island and to us in Charleston, who live in the best city in the world. Have you ever considered that being privileged or successful is dangerous? We read in the Gospels, again, I tell you, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. See, the problem with privilege and the problem with achievements is this. You lose sight of your need for God or who God really is. You might approach church saying like, you know what? I'm kind of special and God's God's privileged to have me. And there's no sense of need or longing or suffering. You can build up such a life that you're flanked and protected on all sides. At least that's the illusion. Preparing for this message, I recalled a story from Greenwich, Connecticut. Some of you know I was running a counseling organization for the Northeast, and uh, I just happened to be up there in 2008 and 2009. And I was living right in the thick of the Wall Street community. And if you remember, like, Wall Street collapsed. Our our whole financial infrastructure around the U.S. collapsed. And uh, I would actually watch the CEO, for some of you that are... um, in tune with this stuff, the CEO at the time of Bear Stearns and Lehman Brothers lived within blocks of my organization. And if you remember, those two organizations just did a kind of a death spiral at the time. And I recall this conversation I had with this guy. He says, Paul, I, I don't know what to do. I've lost everything. And I've got to tell my wife and my kids. He said, we're going to have to move. We're going to have to sell the house, sell it all, sell the boat. And he later would tell me that when he did talk to his family, his son pulled him aside after the talk and said, Dad, does this mean you'll finally spend more time with me? According to theologian Walter Hansen, What Paul renounced was not the wickedness of the flesh, but actually all the goodness of the flesh. Francis Chan puts it like this. Our greatest fear should not be a failure, but succeeding at things in life that really don't matter. Paul is saying, I built this incredible life. And none of it mattered compared to knowing Jesus. Now here's the deal. In the Bible and in the history of the church and in the church now, there's absolutely nothing wrong with being faithful and fruitful and having unbridled success. But let me tell you where the problem creeps in. When that success puffs you up and it serves as a barrier between your relationship with God and others, that's a problem. 
It should serve as a bridge to God and to others. Thanks be to God that I've been blessed with so much. Now I can go bless others. Point number two, a life worth living is found not in pleasing self, Paul's saying. Which leads us to point number three. A life worth living is found in receiving Jesus Christ. He says, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things, and I count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ. I count everything as loss. Why? Because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. This profession of faith represents a dynamic and deep change for Paul. This is the only time in all of Paul's writings that he says, Christ Jesus, I want to know Christ my Lord. It's, it's unbelievably personal in nature. You ever heard someone ask, like, do you have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ? You ever wonder where that language comes from? It comes from right here. Paul is saying, friends, no matter what, Hear me. And these guys aren't off the rails. He's just saying, as you look at the rest of your life, don't build your life pleasing others or pleasing yourself. Know this love that you can receive through Jesus Christ. You see, when we go to please others, there's this kind of underlying inadequacy right? Driving that train. And then when we're trying to please ourselves, um, there's this hunger that can't be quenched. Paul says it like this in Romans. He says, you see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Christ died for you. He died for me. And nothing, nothing, friends, nothing compares to this love. Stop trying to prove yourself and build yourself up. Receive this love. Receive this life. In the words of contemplative Thomas Merton, the man who's not afraid to admit everything that he sees to be wrong with himself and yet recognizes that he may be the object of God's love precisely because of his shortcomings can begin to be sincere. His sincerity is based on confidence, not in his own illusions, about himself, but in the endless, unfailing mercy of God. I invite us, wherever we're at, whatever we walked into, excuse me, walked in with, to be sincere in this moment. 
just as Paul was calling the church in Philippi to be sincere. Do you, in this moment, need the mercy of God? Paul is saying it is offered alone in Jesus Christ. Using some southern slang, he's basically saying, don't try to please the man, don't try to be the man, but know the man intimately. And once you know the man, once you know Jesus, once you know this love, it changes everything. Everything you thought would provide worth, the volume goes down. And everything you need, the volume turns up. Let me ask this question. Can you say like Paul that Jesus is, quote unquote, my Lord this morning? Or I'll ask it differently. Do you need to proclaim through the invitation of Paul and our invitation that Jesus is my Lord this morning? That you're tired of trying to prove yourself, you're tired of trying to build your life. Instead, you need to receive life and all the joy and all the safety and all the strength. It says, the power of the resurrection may rest in me Do you need power in your life? A life worth living is found not in pleasing others or pleasing yourself, but in receiving this love found in Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I pray that you would search us and you would know us. God, where we're where we're trying to please others or where we are trying to please ourselves, build our life. God, I pray that you would check our hearts and our lives and call us back to you. I celebrate that you pursue us when we don't pursue you and that you gave your son that we might have new life in him. God, for those who are seeking today, May they be drawn into this gospel, into this good news that changes everything. In Jesus' name, amen.